You wanted to see me, Miss Swinton? Have you been hearing about the new government modernization efforts? AI, RPAs, data science. Things are changing at this agency, and people will need new skills. Oh. I'd like you to get some training. Huh. Look at this management concepts catalog. Wow, over 275 courses. That's right, in local classrooms or instructor-led online classes. We still have budget in this fiscal year, so sign up online. Advance your career with courses from Management Concepts. Get a catalog at managementconcepts.com or call 833-578-8466. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trivolt Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um... We'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at TrivoltInAction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. Hello everybody and welcome back. Thank you very much for joining me. Tonight, I'd like to share some of the worldwide Bigfoot reports. From Africa to Brazil, Finland to Canada, there are people who report seeing unexplainable creatures. I've compiled a list of European and worldwide Sasquatch and Dogman reports and you get to hear the European sighting reports in an upcoming episode. Tonight, let's first go to Africa. The African Human Apes Witness Report. I was born in Africa and I left in, to go to the UK when I was 28. I'm over 44 now and I still live in the UK where I feel much safer as Africa is not a very kind place to live. The country I lived in is landlocked and it has a big forestry industry which is used for export and trade. I live most of my life on various forestry plantations, way out in isolated and remote places where very few people live. The forestry industry plants their pine trees in large blocks, with each tree being on a grid in a pattern. Since it's pine, nothing grows beneath them due to the soil becoming so acidic, so there's no ground cover or any bush or shrub. Like most remote places, the roads are really just dust without any covering, which means mud and rain and hard-baked earth from the sun. I would take my three small terrier dogs walking each day, leaving the house after lunch, and I would usually be out for just over an hour. I walked the same route each time, up along a dirt road between two blocks of almost mature pine trees. And at this point on the route, the road then curved around one block of trees and came back to meet the road from the house, forming a loop. It's a breathtaking walk with trees on both sides of you. However, the trees fall away on the right of the road, halfway up, and it gives stunning views of the hills covered in shrubs and bush grass. I went walking one afternoon as normal and I heard a growl in the bush just up from my house. My three dogs fled in terror and whatever was in the bush chased them. I later found out it was a leopard with a cub, so I waited a week and I then went walking again. Thankfully, there was no sign of Mama Cat and I was careful to avoid her cub zone as I had the dogs and they're a delicacy to leopards. 
About halfway into the walk, and just as the trees on the right cleared away and the view opened up, I started to smell something I've never smelt before. It had a strong, ammonia scent like cat urine, but it was shocking how powerful the stench seemed to be out in the open like that. The dogs reacted in a strange way. They ran to me and cowered between my ankles, whimpering. I know a leopard would have spooked them into running home, so I was confused about it being urine. I stood my ground with the dogs between my legs, and you learn early on never to run with a wild animal. And I was also armed with a handgun being female and out alone. The smell got stronger and stronger, and then it seemed to mix with the smell of wet dog fur. By this time, I was terrified, but I didn't know why. All I knew was I felt surrounded by something that was making the hair stand up on my body. Yet I couldn't see anything. I wanted to run back the way I'd come, just to get away from whatever was happening. But I knew if I ran, and it turned out to be a big cat, I was going to be attacked. So I did something that almost made me mess myself in fright. I went forward and kept moving very slowly, one step at a time along the road, into the smell. Have you ever been so frightened that you can hear your blood roaring in your ears? I remember my teeth were literally chattering and the dogs were milling about around my legs with their tails against their bellies. That is not a good sign. The further on the track I got, the more I looked around me and saw nothing. It's impossible, but there was nothing out there to see at all. How could I not see anything in a block of trees planted in straight rows with nothing growing beneath them? But I could see straight to the other side of the block along the tree row. It just didn't make sense. I noticed an old gnarled tree standing alone on the right side of the hill where the beautiful view was. And although the tree had been there as long as I could remember, I stopped to look it over and about eight feet up the trunk, there were fresh rips in the bark, but they were so deep, they went into the wood below the bark. Each one looked around 15 centimetres long and they were fresh, enough to have liquid sap leaking from them. I thought at that point I were, it was probably a big cat and it had stretched up along the trunk to sharpen its nails. But it occurred to me that cats pull downwards and these cuts were at an odd angle. There were two marks on the left and three on the right of the trunk, about 30 degree angles. It looked like a person with long nails reached up and started near the middle of the tree trunk and then gouged outwards and down at the same time. Smell was the strongest by that tree. I kept turning and looking in all directions as I moved forward. And then finally, the smell just stopped. I was a long distance from the tree by then, and the dogs were back to running between myself and whatever they were currently examining. Everything was just normal again. I got home safe with all three dogs, but I was too frightened to go walking out again. A lot of strange things have happened in my life, both in Africa and the UK. Most of them are to do with me seeing lights in the sky at night, especially here in the UK. One other thing that happened on the same African tree plantation that I smelt the smell was that a UFO was seen there. On the same week as the UFO that landed in Rouen, 
where the children at the school came out and spoke to the occupants of the craft. I'm still very confused over that one, as we lost track of time when we were travelling to the fire lookout tower to see if we could see it. When we arrived at the lookout tower, um, the gentleman there said that it had gone and we chatted to the other fire tower people on the radio and they said that it moved south along the country. At least we got an eyewitness account from the man who saw it, which was really interesting. I don't know what to think about that smell though. It was so strong, it burned my nose enough to make me want a tissue. Do you have any thoughts on what it could have been? And have you heard of something like the smell before? I, I, Thrunton springs to mind in the northeast. Uh, and a chap out there who was um, out for the day was suddenly confronted with that smell. Um, there's an account in Cornwall as well in Elmwood. There's a, quite a number of accounts, honestly, in the UK and all across America of this awful stench that people really aren't sure how to name it because it's not something they've ever smelt before. And I wonder if it's a defence mechanism of some kind. It's obviously makes you feel sick and makes you want to not walk away. And I think 99% of us would do that. Well-known cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman wrote a very compelling article on Africa's human apes. And he said, I learned through a confidential source that at least one unit of the US Navy Sea, Air and Land Department had a remarkable encounter with unknown apes in Africa. Now, due to the sensitive nature of this former US Navy SEALs intelligence gathering work, at this time, we cannot reveal his identity. What this chat relates is that he was involved in covert operations in the Democratic Republic of the Congo between 1997 and 2002. According to his account, his team observed a group of 13 chimpanzee-like creatures that stood between 4.5 to 5 feet tall. They were uniformly grey all over their bodies and they seemed to have rows of porcupine-like quills running the length of their backs. Now, the unidentified apes walked bipedally, so up on two legs, and they were observed by the SEAL team in the act of killing an animal. When the creatures became excited or agitated, the quills or spines stood erect from their bodies. Now, the US Navy SEAL team took three minutes of video footage of these creatures, but the tape apparently is now being classified due to the mission. The SEAL member still has his mission maps and he's able to pinpoint the area of the encounter with this large group of bipedal apes. Now, the involvement of the US Navy SEAL team would indicate that their activity employed water as well as a means of transportation. And or they were working in the area involving a lake or a river or swamp of some kind and that's why the SEALs would have been there. I'm unsure if it was these unidentified apes that made the smell that our earlier witness encountered. Little is known about the mission or the ape-like creatures that were encountered. If we take our next encounter into account, I think our earlier witness was very lucky that she didn't see what produced that awful smell. I mean, every year people report strange. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Obnoxious smells that come on suddenly. Almost like a deterrent to move you from the area. It can also be accompanied by the feeling of nausea and dizziness. It has been reported in many Bigfoot and Sasquatch reports worldwide. I often wonder if the ancient reports of black demons in the woods with red eyes that smelled of sulphur were really the wild ones moving people on from their places. We know so little about their habits, physicality, biology. It's impossible to really study them as a species or a group. Living habituations are one of the ways we can catch a glimpse of their world. And sometimes, if you're unlucky enough, you can find yourself in a situation worse than you could ever imagine. In this next report, you will hear from my friend Randy, who is a man who hunts and lives in the Slave Lake area of Alberta. Randy's a hunter, a natural guide, He's a keen outdoorsman, he likes to hunt, sometimes alone and other times with his family. He's used to the usual animals of the forest and the lakes and their habits and the noises that they make. Randy and his wife spend a lot of time together at the tree stand, just watching the bears on the property, counting the population numbers and checking that the bears are healthy. At one point earlier in the year, there were eight bears around him and Randy had to swap them away from the stand. So I think it's fair to say that although Randy has a very relaxed and respectful attitude towards nature, he isn't going to be messed with either. He has hunted all of his life. He spends days away in remote areas, tracking and sharing his knowledge of animal sign. I learnt more from him about tracking and signs in an hour's phone call than I did in my 52 years on this earth. He knows his animal sign, the wild foodstuffs and a thousand little tidbits of knowledge lost to my culture decades ago. He explained how each animal leaves its own mark on a different section of the tree and how to recognise which sign or smell comes from which animal. And I was very grateful for that advice. He told me about one hunting trip a number of years ago in Slave Lake that left a memorable impression on Randy when he was out hunting for bear. He parked the car some miles away from the site and he was, as he was going to hunt, 
that's what he normally did. And it was so he didn't declare his arrival loudly to any animals in the area. So you pack up and you're walking steadily and quietly, all the time looking for tracks. And when he saw a moose, he saw it come charging out of the bush. And it startled Randa. And the moose was a huge bull, which is incredibly dangerous. And it looked terrified. Its eyes were rolled back in their sockets and the moose was making a screaming noise. Randy said, I have never heard an animal make a noise like that before. I couldn't understand what I was seeing because on back of the moose, there was a huge creature and it was clinging to the terrified animal. Randy watched in awe as the two creatures battled each other in a life or death event. Now, the creature that was trying to mount and kill the moose was thickly muscled and had hands and feet. It had no neck and it was very tall. And its strength was unbelievable as it brought the moose down to the ground. After swiping at the moose over and over with its huge hands, the creature got itself into a position where it had its arms around the moose's neck. It cupped below the moose's chin and it pulled backwards and the moose went down to the ground screaming. And then everything went completely silent. There was not a sound in the woods, no birds, no animals, just a hush. Randy was in awe. He walked backwards without thinking, slowly and quietly out of the area, back to his truck and he drove out of there. And he kept saying, he kept driving, sorry, until he hit an area with sidewalks. And he pulled in and he stopped for a coffee in a bid to get his mind together and to try and work out what he'd just seen. He was out looking for Bear that day and he was fully armed. But at no point did he feel like he needed to take a shot. He said he was more in awe of what he'd seen. He also believes the creature was so focused on that moose he didn't see him at any point. Randy said, I watched those two creatures in a primal battle that ended with the death of the moose and I was shaken up by what I'd seen. I just couldn't get my thoughts together and I've kept the incident to myself for many years now. It's played on my mind ever since. When he first emerged from the bushes, the man-like creature was really tall the tail end of the moose came up to its mid-rib section and it wasn't a small moose. It was a huge bull with 50-inch paddles. And we chatted for a while about his sighting. And Randy went on to explain another incident about 10 miles out of Edmonton that had happened to him and his sons. He said, I've seen some very strange things in the forest out here. I once shot a deer that dropped about 40 yards in front of me. I hit it clean and it dropped down into the long grass. Grass was about four foot tall and pretty thick. I waited, kept my eye out for bears as this is a time that will get attracted to your kill and come charging at speed out of the undergrowth. And this grass was ideal for that purpose. I walked over to collect the deer, which took a matter of seconds, and it was gone. There was no sign of it. I saw no trail out of there, no blood, no drag marks. No signs of animals or anything. I was completely stumped. I did a grid search and found nothing. I then did a spiral search, moving out from where you could see the deer. 
Still nothing. I went back numerous times thinking, surely I'll find the antlers or the hide or even smell it. I took my friend back there and told him the whole story and we both looked together. I was still bugged by that about three years after it happened. But seeing that creature take down that moose will stay with me forever. I've only ever told my wife, one friend, knew Deb. I explained to my friend about the screaming noise, the moose and the creature made as they fought. Still, trying to convince myself that it was just a bear. My friend said, bears don't scream like that, Randa. And he's right. On another hunting trip, this time with his children, closer to Edmonton, in a place they'd been before, but they had up to now never been into some of the thicker areas. And this time, they decided to do just that. So they headed for an area they hadn't seen or been in before. And as Randy and his sons were walking along looking for any tracks or signs of any passing bears, they ended up in one part of the property that they'd never checked out before. They came to an area that looked really strange. They walked through the thick forest shrubs and the trees and they emerged at a spot where everything was empty. There was no ground cover at all. The bark was missing off all of the trees. The floor was completely clean. Not a leaf or a pine needle to be seen. No sign of any sticks or twigs on the ground. And it looked like someone had cleared the entire area. As a group now, we're puzzled by this. And they couldn't work out why this would have happened or who would do it. And as they were all looking around, wondering what had happened in that spot, trying to come up with a reason for the destruction. They noticed a dark figure, some ways off, what looked at first like a tall, upright walking bear. Now the bear was walking in their direction, and Randy explains to me that normally bears walk with a waddling gait. If they're down on all fours, they swing their heads in all directions as they walk, sniffing the air as they go, and they can raise up onto two legs. They look very awkward when they do it but they can do it. They also have ears on top of their heads and claws, not hands. And Randy said, the creature coming our way was moving along and it was walking fluidly. It also had huge shoulders and no neck. It was really dark in colour and on seeing Randy and the children, it did a strange thing. It turned in a sharp movement left. I think the phrase he used was it turned on a dime and then it moved off into the tree line and hid behind a tree. It stayed behind the tree, peeking out for a short time as they watched it. He said, we just kept asking each other, what is that? And the kids started to get a little spooked. The younger ones were a bit scared as we started to walk towards it. And the idea of getting closer to it really upset them. So I turned around to move us off safely and it used that moment to move really quickly. And it dropped down to the ground and it just vanished. It was very similar to the creature I saw killing the moose. It also had thickly muscled and very dark coloured skin. It looked like it had no neck. And the head was right on the shoulders and the chest was really broad. I took the children back to the vehicle and we left the area. I've never told anyone the details of that day. But my wife has asked me over and over to contact you and share this event. She said you'd understand and help me share what had happened 
And it was only by speaking with you that I realised there may be others who have seen this creature also. When I first spoke with Randy, he had no real knowledge of Bigfoot outside of the hairy man stories that he'd heard as a child. And seeing the first creature, it did explain some strange things for him that had happened when he'd been out on earlier hunting trips and he thought he was alone in the forest or out on the tundra. Being a lover of the outdoors and the old ways, as you can imagine, chatting with Randa was a joy for me. And we chatted about the areas out there and their animals and their habits. As he's a- with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Guide and a hunter, he had a wealth of stories to tell me and I enjoyed all of them. Now I'm longing for snowy pine forests and tundra as I write for my little room in the UK. I explained to Randy that the behaviour he described, i.e. the tree peaking, the fluid gait, the build, the dropping down to the floor, were all consistent with what we would call a Sasquatch or Bigfoot behaviour. And it was 36 months ago when I first started chatting with Randy. And since then, his wife has had her own experience, which I'll bring to you over the coming weeks. But I did manage to find another recent report from around the Slave Lake area that features a creature very similar to Randy's experience. And although nothing can come close to watching two animals fight for their lives, every Bigfoot report has an element of fear. Simply seeing something impossible you cannot explain is enough for most sound-minded folk. Now, a fellow hunter and guide had his own experience while he was out with his family in the Mitsu area in June of 2019. The hunter was driving down a logging road when he was bear hunting and he was with his wife and children at approximately 9.30pm. As they were driving, they spotted what appeared to be the rear end of a bear that was entering the left-hand side of the cut line and they just caught it in the headlights. The witness exited the vehicle and walked down to the cut line, approximately 50 yards to where the animal had entered the bush line. When he arrived on the right-hand side of the cut line, opposite to where the animal was spotted entering the bush, there was a number of poplar trees, about six to eight inches in diameter, and they began to shake violently. The witness described it as an explosion of movement in the bush next to him. Immediately, he saw two very large hands start to part the trees and bushes. The hands had fingers approximately, just smaller than a Red Bull can in diameter and approximately the length of the hunter's entire hand. The witness was face to face with an animal he could only describe as a Sasquatch. And despite being uphill from where it was standing, the witness could see the forehead and the nose and the mouth and that everything else was obscured by brush. The hunter described the head to be the width of a basketball with golf ball-sized eyes, a large pronounced brow ridge, a large forehead with little hair, a flattened nose with nostrils the size of two thumbs on each side, and it had matted hair. 
He described the eyes as dark brown in colour, with no visible whites. However, in the area where the whites of the eyes would be, it was an almost purplish tinge of colour. Now, the witness also mentioned seeing eyelashes on the eyelids of the creature. The hunter, of course, armed, raised his rifle to the creature and it immediately retreated into the forest, moving 20 to 40 yards away from the witness. The witness's wife was flashing the lights of the truck, having seen the creature, although not well. From the side view where the truck was parked was the only look she could get at it. She was signalling at her husband to come back to the car. The wife described the animal she saw as hunched over significantly and approximately an estimated three foot from its true height, so it was down to about five feet. And although she could not see it in detail, she said she could see its shape in the bush and she could see it moving throughout the encounter. Her husband began to make his way back, however, with every second step he took, the trees would shake just 15 yards into the tree line beside him. Tree shaking followed him all the way back to the truck where they got in and they immediately heard a deep woo sound and that what happened several times. They all heard a bang on the truck roof and they sped a short distance away where they pulled over to see what had hit the truck. They found a large dinner plate sized clump of mud with grass on it as if it had been torn from the ground and it had been lobbed at the truck and it had landed on the roof. They left the area for that night. The witness returned to the site, though, the next day, and he found what he described to be possible handprints in the mud on the cut line and some suspicious impressions. And although it did not show any distinct detail, only a large, elongated, but wide set of foot impressions. The hunter also found trees which had been stripped of branches to about seven feet high, and the park was peeled down towards the ground. The sap coming from the damaged tree was described as fresh. Now, the area was generally disturbed with broken branches and some upturned ground. The witness is an experienced hunter and an outdoorsman. And he said he never believed in Sasquatch until this encounter. He hopes to see another Sasquatch in more detail in the future. Now, the history of Sasquatch, Bigfoot and the hairy man, go back many years in the area, as far back as people can remember. The tales are passed down through word of mouth, in art and in the culture of the original men to walk the land. In many native cultures, Hairy Man was followed along the river course by early inhabitants of the area. Hairy Man showed them what to fish, where to find fresh water and where to settle in abundant times. The Colby Mountain Fire Lookout. That is not a bear. It was 1973, said the witness, because it was the year I turned 12. My maternal family owned a cabin in the town of Jonesville. It's about 40 miles east of Chico, California, about 5,000 feet elevation in the Sierra Nevada Cascade Mountains. My mum, my Aunt Margaret and Uncle George inherited shares. My first cousins were all a lot older than I was, so I ran with my first cousins once removed. This made me the oldest, and I was the ringleader, according to most of the relatives. On a nice weekend day, I think it was a Saturday, my cousin Charlene, aged 10, 
and Becky, aged eight, and I were playing board early in the day. We decided we were going to go hiking, which we did in between playing house and hot wheels in the dirt. We got sandwiches and apples and took some water. A dirt road had been put in just up from Humboldt Road East and the turn off to our cabin. It went to Colby Mountain Fire Lookout. We weren't supposed to go up that road. So we crossed the road and headed northeast from our cabin up the hill. We were slow, not in any hurry to go anywhere. We investigated snow plants near the base of trees and admired butterflies and moths and sniffed the cedar trees. We scared a couple of does with fawns and just kind of meandered along to the top of the Balsatic Ridge that ran pretty much parallel with Humboldt Road. And at some point, I think we all realised that we were out of our area. We were almost to the top of the ridge. So we sat down and we had our lunch. Becky said she was getting a blister, so I put some tape on her heel. And I told her we were almost there and then we could look over the ridge, turn around and run back down the hill home to the cabin so we wouldn't get into trouble. We walked about 50 feet when we started hearing ruffling and scuffling in the rocks and pine needles and brushes half up ahead and to our left. I had no clue what it was. I thought maybe we'd spooked up another day. The noises got louder and some bark and dust came down the hill at us, but off to our left. Next, there was more shuffling and some slashing sounds that came down the hill. We stopped dead in our tracks when something huge started screaming and yelling and hollering at us. I was terrified that we'd angered a black bear, but I couldn't see anything up on the ridgeline. Another couple of yells, but no animal, and Becky asked me, what is it? We were scared to death. My bravado as the leader of the pack came to an abrupt end, and I realised that I had two little girls that I was responsible for, and I needed to get us out of here. I yelled to both girls what I knew would motivate them the fastest. Bear, run. Don't fall, just go so he doesn't see us. And away we went down that hill, with me following the other two. We ran all the way down to Humboldt Road before we stopped. And we sat for a while, so we didn't come to the house puffing and panting. I knew, even when I yelled bear, that that animal that had yelled at us was not a bear. It was bigger than any of the local bears, just by the volume of its voice. If it had been a bear, it would not have thrown slash and dust near us, Bears don't throw things. And when we stopped to rest, Charlene, nor was my smarty pants, looked at me and said, that wasn't a bear. I didn't see one. I kicked her in the ankle and I tilted my head towards Becky and said that it had to be a bear. And she reluctantly agreed and kicked me back. We walked back down to our playhouse area and Becky wandered off on her own. Charlene asked me what had yelled at us and I told her I thought it might be something called a Bigfoot but I didn't know for sure. A few minutes later my aunt discovered we were back and she was very indignant because they couldn't find us for half an hour earlier when they were out looking for us. I said we went across Humboldt Road and got turned around and that was enough to get us into trouble and we had to stay in the yard for the afternoon. Charlene and I only talked about what happened one other time and not in much detail. None of us ever tried to explain to any of the adults what had happened. Another cousin now owns a cabin, 
My dad had a falling out with Charlene and Becky's parents after my mum passed and I haven't talked to them for years. The 2021 Dixie fire burned near the cabin and up on the ridge that we ran down so quickly, all those years ago. Now our next witness was also a young girl when her experiences happened in North Carolina in the 1990s and she said, I've had a lot of weird things happen in my life. Most of them I don't remember at all. They are totally blanked out for me. My middle sister cannot understand why I don't remember these events, as I'm the one who fought off a lot of what had happened to protect her. She, the poor thing, has never been able to forget a single detail. This particular event I want to share with you happened 35 years ago just after I'd turned 14. I did not involve my sister for once. I talked to her about it probably 10 years ago. She had no idea of anything odd that happened at the house. My father was a preacher and we moved every other year, sometimes more frequently. We just moved from a homeless situation into a new home. It's still there now, but the buildings at that location have changed a lot. The configuration isn't really that important. Just that our home was closer to the graveyard than any of the other buildings. There were woods beside and behind the house, which were much closer. When we first moved in there were some neighbours in a little mobile home on the property just south of the house. Their site was really run down, a lot of old appliances and crap surrounding it. It was situated inside the trees in a small clearing that was visible from my southern window. My room was on the southwest corner of the house and it had large double windows that looked south and another set looking west, overlooking the southern end of the graveyard. The graveyard and the western windows never bothered me, except when there were critters foraging around in the trash under the window. Well, that was merely annoying. The southern windows, though, were very different. In that mobile home lived a man and a woman who, it seems to me now, were probably on drugs. They had a couple of large, terrifying, vicious dogs on seriously heavy chains. They had never gotten loose as far as I know, but they terrified me. I was sure one particular dog was going to come crashing through my window in the night. I was convinced of it. I had it in my gut. It was a deep feeling of knowing. It was inevitable. It never happened, of course. I had no idea what breeds they were. They were just huge and they were mean. And they were, looking back, probably abused and certainly neglected. Somehow, very soon after we moved in, my dad had those people kicked out and all their stuff cleaned off the land. It must have belonged to the church. I don't think he could have gotten it done so quickly. One day they were there, and the next, everything was gone. The speed and finality of the event was a little frightening. We never saw those people or those dogs again. It didn't matter. I was still very unhappy about the area. I never even looked over there if I could help it. Every single evening before sundown, I shut my big heavy drapes very snugly. Not one gap was allowed anywhere, ever. And I didn't open them again until well after daylight. There was also a small closet on the northwest corner of the room that I was vaguely unhappy about, but for no real reason. 
I never had childhood fears of closets and just, you know, the witch on the bed when I was really small. And I've no idea where that came from. We didn't have a television set for most of my growing up. I never saw stuff like that or heard scary stories of that nature. We never went to anyone's house because they were always the new kids and we moved away. And by the time we started making connections, we were on again. So there was no influence from other kids at school. And nothing like that was ever talked about in church. The witch under the bed fear is long since faded for me now. I don't I didn't know why I mentioned that closet, because nothing ever happened to it. It's just part of my memory of that room. Although now that I think about it, when I first saw that black thing, it was at the corner of the bed, closest to the closet. The parsonage was a four-bedroom house, and it was old, but it was fairly spacious. None of the rest of the house had a weird feeling to me, just my room. And even then, only at night. My double bed was placed under the western set of windows, so the southern ones were on my right. One night, after we were all moved in and unpacked and those neighbours were gone, I'd settled into bed, and for some reason, I opened my eyes and looked over the footboard. No reason I could think of. I heard no sound, I had no feeling. I just opened my eyes and looked. There, moving slowly from the right to the left and then back again, was a dark, flat shape with glowing red eyes. It made no noise, it didn't have a smell, and it looked two-dimensional, like it was flat. But somehow, I was aware it had depth and substance. My room was very dark with lights off, and I didn't have a nightlight. But the darkness of this prowling thing was unlike any black that I've ever seen before or since. The shape was like a hyena, or a very, very large raccoon with that weird humped up back and their heads hunched below their shoulders. The glowing red eyes were like large glowing coals. And they glowed, but they did not emit light. They did not illuminate anything, not even any part of this thing's face. And they were very large for the size of the head. Weirdly, I couldn't discern any difference between the head and the body. I just knew how it would be if I were able to see it. There was no features to the head, the face or the body, just the outline of the whole shape and those two eyes. It was not furry looking. It was just a smooth outline shape of what I interpreted at the time to be a dog thing. It seemed canine to me, but for no reason that I can pinpoint. It may have been down to my well-established childhood fear of dogs, possibly. I don't know how long I sat there watching it. And I didn't feel anything, no fear, no panic. One second I was looking at it, and then next I was flying up over the bed to reach the light switch on the wall in front of the bed. I jumped in one movement from my bed over the top of the footboard, and I hit that switch as I landed I never, ever turned that light off again. I didn't sleep at night the whole two years we lived there. I stuffed towels under my door so my dad wouldn't see the light on if he came down to check on things. I sat at my desk and I painted all night long. Every single night we lived after that was fear. I've never been so artistically productive before or since. 
And once we left that place, I had no trouble sleeping. Even as we lived there, and even as I did my nightly routine of gathering my paints and water and stuffing that towel under the door, I never gave that dog shadow thing a second thought. Never. Never thought about it again. But I never trusted the dark in that room either. It was like just gone from my mind, like it had never happened. But it changed everything for me while we lived there. It was years and years later when I thought about that thing again. I would like to make this clear. I do not think it was a demon, as I understand what people mean when they say that word. I don't know what it was, but I don't believe in those kind of embodiments of evil. As best as I can figure, it was something tied to that land. In the last 15 years or so, I've heard the word shook. I'm still unclear exactly what is meant by that. And up until then, I'd never heard of anything like that black thing before. I knew the Bible stories about demons, of course, being a preacher's kid, but I never really given them any thought. They were as realistic to me as, say, Snow White, just a story. I didn't grow up with images of gargoyles or creepy old paintings of hell and demons or, you know, grotesque stained glass windows. The churches my dad preached in were modern and kind of sneered at those kind of things. So this was not part of my world or my thinking. Weirdly, at the same time, we did have background superstitions of demons and stuff, but they were just something to have a theatrical nervousness about. That's all. So I'd also absolutely no idea what that black thing was. I'm sure that helped me deal with it. If I'd already had a name for it, um, and a fear of it, I'd probably have been reduced to a blubbering mess. I could never have recovered from that. It never occurred to me to even mention it to my parents. They would have thought I was just trying to get attention. I couldn't tell my sisters because I was the oldest. No way was I going to freak them out especially when I had no answers and no way of getting in it. So I just painted at night. I would drag myself to school, crashed in the afternoon, paint all night the next night for two years. That's the way we left. We left that place. It was humiliating, but it was a relief to be gone. In many cultures, there is mention of a black dog, a shuck or a shug, a ghastly hound that appears before the death of a loved one. It's seen as the harbinger of bad news and it's dreaded by most folk. Many of the reports people make have seen these dog-like creatures around ancient burial sites and modern cemeteries. Werewolves, dogmans, wolvers are usually seen in places of burial too. They are often said to have red or yellow eyes, sharp canine-like teeth and a seeming lust for humans. In our next report, we hear from a fellow Brit who had an experience in Colorado when he was visiting a friend in the area. And this happened in 2006. I'm from the north of England and I wanted to share with you a strange experience I had in the Colorado mountains in 2006. Ten years previously to this incident, I started snowboarding. It's one of my favourite pastimes and I've travelled abroad many times visiting areas ideal for snowboarding. I've been to the Alps numerous times and I've also been to the Colorado Rockies too. A good friend of mine was working in the United States in a town called Aspen, which is in the state of Colorado. 
to cut a long story short, he invited me over from the UK to stay with him and do some boarding in the mountains while I was there. It was the week before Thanksgiving, 2006, when I arrived. I found out when I met my friend at the ski resort that it wasn't open at any point, sadly. I was pretty bummed out about it, but my friend told me not to worry about the lack of boarding as he'd brought a snowmobile and we could still get out and enjoy the snow. When he picked me up from Aspen Airport, I'd already seen that he had bought a new big GM four-wheel drive truck. So a couple of days later, we drove up to the back of the Aspen Mountain Range and drove as far up the narrow forest road as we could to get the truck to go. We took the snowmobile from then on up the mountain. My mate's girlfriend was also with us, so I was taken on the back up to the top near the lift station and he went back down and collected his lady and I waited there until they returned. The snow was very deep at the top, around seven or eight feet deep. And we had a whole day riding on the back of the mountain, completely to ourselves. We didn't see anyone else that whole day. I later found out it was a federal offence to do this, but I didn't know that at the time. At around 5pm, we decided it was time to get off the mountain before it went dark. My mate decided he was going to take me back halfway to the truck first and then he'd return for his girlfriend and I could make my way back to the truck using my board and just wait there for them. We got about halfway back to the truck, probably took about 15 minutes and he stopped and let me off and he said, just board back to the truck and I'll go back and I'll collect Mary. As he disappeared back up the trail, I had the realisation that I was in the middle of nowhere on a foreign continent in the falling light. It was turning into a bright, clear night with a big moon and lots of snow cover. I was transversing down the side of the hill on a path that snowmobiles use. So the snow was hard packed down, about three to four feet deep at the side of the track. I could see down into the valley to my right and the path went down about 500 yards and then it turned 90 degrees right and carried on down into the valley. I stopped at the bend in the path to get my bearings and I noticed someone walking up the path towards me at a distance of about, say, a quarter of a mile. I squinted into the dark in the evening wondering what it was I was looking at. At first I thought it was a bear as it was big and it was moving quickly. I didn't like that idea. Whatever I was seeing moved with a slope of a walk, like Shaggy and Scooby-Doo. I quickly realised it wasn't a bear. I thought it looked like a big man wearing a large overcoat or a crombie coat with a collar turned up. Whilst I was watching this unfold, I got this sudden fear that came from nowhere. I was terrified. The individual was now about halfway towards me, still coming up the path. The way it had come up the mountainside, it must have walked through the odd group of trees. There was also trees within 30 or 40 metres of the track. The individual suddenly took a 45 degree turn to the right and walked into the snowfield towards the trees. He didn't slow down, despite walking through three feet of snow. Something which would have almost stopped me dead in my tracks. The moon was shining from behind this thing. I didn't see any details on the front of it due to the light shield and its features. Now, you would probably be amazed if I told you how many people believe that cryptic creatures are only seen in one or two countries in the world.
Now, as we've heard tonight, there seems to be no shortages of reports, regardless of the country, from the snowy slopes of Colorado to New Zealand. Human beings have been seeing these creatures for centuries, and they still do. Our next report comes from an island, richer in habitat than anywhere else I know. Now, the following article was published in a New Zealand newspaper, and it was reported sightings of a strange hairy man, similar to a Yeti or a Bigfoot, and the rumour was supposedly started by the Wensleck brothers, another coast residents. So New Zealand has its own wild bushman of legend, known mostly from stories originating from around the Coromandel area in the North Island. It is said to be a large, extremely hairy hominid with arms reaching down to around its knees and with a distinct colour. In some instances, it is said to have long, exaggerated fingers, perhaps even talons or claws. An Australian tourist reported seeing a creature as she bushwalked in 1969. She described it as being very much like a gorilla. Then, in 1972, another sighting was made by two pig hunters who said that they saw a large creature that was approximately 150 metres away from them in the bush. And when they reached the place the animal had been, all they found was human-type footprints that are around 35 centimetres long. One local man, Mark Copple, said he hoped to capture footage of this hairy man. He said his hunt started in 2015 when he had a strange experience out in the remote area of the Coromandel bush. After finding unusual footprints in hard to reach places and hearing tales of heavy bipedal approaches, Mark said he had the unnerving feeling of being watched He said, according to his collected witness descriptions, the manimal, as he called it, would be strong, shaggy-haired creature that lived in the bush. It was probably ape-like in appearance, but standing up on two legs, and much larger than an average man, he said. I've heard very strange screams and shouts. I found footprints and even had stones thrown at me. And it's extremely bizarre. I've even heard what's called wood taps, which sounds like a wooden bat being knocked against a tree. And I think whatever country you're in, whether it's England or Canada, United States, Russia, that wood knock, those wood taps that you hear when you're out in the woods. For some of us, they really get the hairs on the back of your neck standing up. So I hope you'd enjoyed that. And as I said, I will be compiling some reports from across Europe, so Finland um, and Sweden, some new reports that have come in, and I'll bring you those to you at a later date. So until next time, good night, everyone.
leftovers or the DMV or house cleaning or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. T plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.